today I'm interviewing um, Brian Hui. Hugh. Hugh. Brian Hugh, who's the editor and founder of uh, one of the founding editors. New Bloom uh, magazine. Uh, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, can Can you tell me, tell us how you or why you started this? Uh, is it an online publication? Oh, it's an online publication. Um, so we started doing the Sunflower Movement in 2014. It was actually we started talking about it in April. You know, it was like an occupation of the legislative run. So when people were starting to withdraw in April, we started talking about doing some kind of thing to spread this to the international world. So then a few months later, we started in August of that year, uh, and since then it's been about two and a half years. Um, so mostly it was you know students, activists. Um, uh, There's like one or two journalists. Um, we were split between mostly New York and Taipei because you know the the people that were in Taipei that were participating in the movement and so forth, and a lot of Taiwanese people kind of overseas that wanted to kind of participate, but they were kind of studying abroad or living abroad or and so forth. And you know I grew up in New York, so those were kind of it kind of makes sense that I knew people in New York, and I was also involved in the movement in Taipei. Um, so you were here already. Yeah, I was here back then. I was uh, working on language at because uh, I can't really back then. I couldn't really read Chinese, so I was at uh, Shida. Um, I was there for one year. That was twenty thirteen to twenty fourteen, and that just coincided perfectly with the movement. Oh right, okay. So, um, do, do you try to? Uh, is it mainly a English language publication? Um, we do translations back and forth because one of the hope is one of the hopes is to translate you know discourse from one language to the other. Um, so you know things are lacking in English language discourse. You might translate an article or write an article with that perspective, or things that are you know lacking in Chinese language discourse. You might translate something from English, um, but mostly it is English currently. Um, we try to do both though. So you you see yourself as a as a kind of a role of community. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, bridging the different communities, especially linguistically, so that you can spread the. The progressive views to each other. Yeah, I mean, we try to connect the. We really want to kind of make Taiwan more well known among, let's say, the international left. So you know, that's kind of where we kind of differ from a lot of other publications that try to connect Taiwan the international world. Because um, you know, we're people that were involved in social movements for a while, whether in the U.S. or whether in Taiwan or elsewhere. So we really want, you know, I feel like Taiwan's struggles are not really so well known in the world. So you know, we're we're trying to make it more well known. Has it worked? You think? To some extent, um, I just think that <laughs> it's always an uphill struggle. Um, there are Asian social movements, but you know, even places that are more well, you know, Taiwan is already very marginal. But even places that are very well known, such as you know, Japan or Korea, you know, these struggles don't get heard, and it's really surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, the Hong Kong umbrella movement got known. That's a little surprising because you know there have also been gigantic movements in Japan and South Korea, which haven't been heard. So much less Taiwan, which is you know far less well known than the other places. Yeah, we have a professor at my school who used to specialize in Taiwanese literature, but recently he uh, he switched to Chinese literature, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But I think that with maybe there just weren't enough students at at that school, and uh, so I think there's a pressure to kind of sinicize everything, I guess, or, or focus on China, uh, make it more uh, make it more uh, mainland China, because that's what. Students seem to focus on. I was uh, I was at the uh, exit uh, one for the MRT uh, for Shimenting, and um, there were all these competing uh, protests. That's right. There's always there. They're yeah. always there. <laughs> so uh, I noticed that the ones that were for the mainland had um, had Jesus people there. Is that common? You think? Is that are the mostly the Christian? Christian right, I suppose, would they be more um, 
more supportive of uh, against uh, against independence? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, actually, I haven't seen those Christian groups. Um, there are some, in the, especially in the overseas Chinese community in the U.S. Oh, yeah. and Taiwan, because you know, has strong links with the overseas Chinese community, or just you know, just different you know, ethnic Chinese communities. Like, right, right. I think that's where a lot of this discourse comes from. Um, the ones that are really anti-independence, I actually don't really know too much about the ones that are church groups. But you know, there's always just these kind of crazy groups there, kind of fighting back and forth at Cementing or outside of Taipei 101, which is, you know, oh, the yeah. Taiwanese independence people, the pro-China activists. Um, there's like a group called the Chinese Concentric Friendship Association or something like that. Oh. And there, then there's the Falun Gong, and these groups are just going oh. back and forth. Um, are the Falun Gong in support of independence? I actually don't know, because, you know, they actually don't really seem to have a view on it. Uh, they actually come here with signs and simplify Chinese a lot, which is kind of unusual, because, you know, like, right. like who is that targeting? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe they, they use those signs everywhere else. So. I think so. I think it's just mass-produced somewhere and just sent out. Um, yeah, they, they have lots of money behind they them. They have a lot of money behind them. In every city in America, they have a newspaper. It's exactly. Like every big city. Exactly, and, yeah. Uh, in English and Chinese. Exactly. I mean, it's amazing. So that affects a lot of the uh, overseas Chinese communities. I mean, they are an influential force, for better or worse, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do expose abuses of the prison That's right. system. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think, I, I wonder if the people, the Westerners who are joining uh, are naive about mm -hmm. uh, what the, the cult is, I guess. I think sometimes they are because they don't really seem. They seem to think it's kind of a spiritual religion, or sometimes you know, got kind of orientalist interest in it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're actually uh, where I grew up in New York. There's like a, a supermarket that's rumored to be a Falun Gong money laundering operation. Oh wow. Yeah, and also just like there are you know people that are ethnically Chinese that are Falun Gong members just you know in the community and you kind of just know about them and so forth. So did uh, when you grew up, how did you become politicized? Um, mostly it was in college, I guess. Uh, I went to Vassar College for my first year of college. Um, so then, you know, I fell in with a group of anarchists and we did like a hunger strike to protest worker layoffs and things like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that was like, you know, rushing right into things as a freshman. Um, <laughs> but, you know, then everyone else graduated because they were all seniors. So I transferred to NYU for my sophomore year. And that was the... And then I hung out with, you know, a bunch of different radical groups because there's so much more in New York City. Yeah. And the year after, the year after... Yeah, then Occupy Wall Street happened in 2011. Oh, so I was I was there on the first yeah. day, and you know I participated throughout that month, and oh, yeah. you know around for the the next yeah. year after. Um, so I guess that's how I got into interested in left politics. I mean, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, but actually, in high school, I was uh, I organized like a human rights club. So mm. it's kind of like you know it's much more liberal, politically liberal, much more naive back then. But yeah, yeah. then you know once that ran up in, against certain limits, I think that pushed me more towards like social activism. The, uh, you know, the word left and right uh, have different meanings in different places. Of course, yeah. Um, because in Hong Kong, they, they consider, yeah, left the, plastics. They consider yeah. the government leftists. Yeah. And the, and the protesters, uh, they call themselves on the right. Yeah. Which is kind of strange to it's me. It's kind of strange, yeah. Because I, I come from a left background in the U.S. protesting the Vietnam War, yeah. for instance, yeah. and, uh, and other stuff. And oh. uh, when I go to Hong Kong, I think it's hard to explain what I did in the 60s or 70s yeah. because that was uh, in the left, on the left. And yeah. To them, to the activists there, probably they compare the left to what the, the, the people that fought against the British colonialism. Yeah, did. I think so. Yeah. So, and now they want, some of them want British, uh, <laughs> the yeah. British state back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very strange because, yeah. you know, they weren't exactly democratic either. And they went, uh, 
these young people were not alive, or maybe they were very young when exactly. they don't have no experience of the bad things that the British did. Yeah. So it's also, also nostalgia. It's more nostalgia it's, for it's the It's colonial young nostalgia in some sense. Yeah, it's, it must be better, they think, than uh-huh. what is today. Exactly. So, um, yeah. I also think that, you know, in China, sometimes left is used as a synonym for kind of patriotism. So, you know, like people say, I'm very left. Oh, I see. And, you know, like, so that that language usage kind of also bleeds over to Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. So they kind of, you know, then muddle these things together. But you have uh, long hair, uh, you know, who's That's a right. legislator. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a leftist, right? Exactly. And, or yeah. anarchist, even. And so uh, they organize it, too, and whatever. Yeah. So he's an unusual I, character. He's really just, I think, managed to carve out a space for himself by being active yeah, for so long. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's also targeted among this new wave of um, mm-hmm. denying people exactly. who, 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 who yeah. gave their oaths. Because uh, he had an umbrella with him on the first oath, and he just... Unveiled <laughs> <laughs> an umbrella, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he already gave his oath, so... Yeah. I think the, I think the courts would rule against that. Oh. If they allow the courts to rule and uh-huh. not, because the Chinese in, government interpretation uh-huh. was that the courts have to follow it, uh-huh. but it didn't really. They're uh-huh. targeting these two people first. It's just the local groups are saying they should. Some uh-huh. of the local PRC, pro PRC groups are exactly. saying they should yeah. uh, target anybody else. Uh, so is there a lot of communication between the two uh, areas? In Hong Kong, I mean Hong Kong pe- activists and, and people here. Um, think? there is, there is, but also just I think a lot of times it's not really at the official level. It's very much at the level of individuals, person um, to person. Person to person. I mean, sometimes people come here and you know they do an event. Like Joshua Wong comes here periodically. Um, Yao Wei Ting and Baguio Liang were here like a oh. few weeks ago. Um, they they worked with another group. Um, so I mean, people come over, but what I think that um, it was Le Flanc Radical, or you know, also known as Radical Wings. Uh, they're kind of a oh. They call themselves left. That's actually an interesting thing. They call themselves left independence, but they're actually accused of being kind of right nationalist a lot. Um, <laughs> they also they have uh, they had some incidents of kind of character assassination on some of the other kind of political parties. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, so some people don't really like them. They worked with the uh, Taiwan Solidarity Union during the last round of elections. Um, I actually kind of don't know how that happened. How these kind of groups like Young Inspiration and the Flock oh, yeah. Radical came together. I'm very curious myself. Yeah. Um, are there any antecedents um, um, to the Diao Yutai movement in, mm-hmm. uh, in the 80s, I guess? Is that, um, is that, no, or is that s- totally separate from uh, Oh, yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, I think that, well, there is like student activism, but, you know, that, that was like a early split between the kind of pro-independence left and, let's say, the, you know, like, the pro-unification left. So some people that resisted the KMT were still kind of in favor of preserving sovereignty. So a lot of the kind of, like... Oh, complicated, you know, splits start to appear then, though they possibly could go much earlier. Um, but that was kind of interesting, because, you know, that began in the U.S. and then kind of spread over to yeah. Taiwan. Yeah. That was, the other time, more a unification thing, or was it defending yeah, China? Yeah, yeah. Um, defending the sovereignty of the Diaoyutai Islands. Territories. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of that also just had to do with, you know, like, the uncertain status of Taiwan in the world at that point, because, you know, like, with regard to China and so forth. But, you know... I, I think people really wanted to, or the let's say the Pan Blue Coalition really wanted to hold hold on to the islands because you know that's like oh, yeah. integral part of you know sovereignty that you can't lose to Japan, which is you know like a nationalist enemy. Yeah, it's very nationalistic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. So, um, do you uh, what do you do work-wise here now? Oh, work-wise, I just uh, <laughs> I I am a freelance translator and oh, yeah. editor. So also once in a while I do some tutoring for like GRE and stuff like that. So in the meantime, I'm trying to find something more stable to tide me over. Um, next year, actually, I'm starting a year-long fellowship to do oral history of the Sunflower Movement. 
So I'm actually going to be collecting interviews and organizing it online as okay. like a kind of visual audio thing that you know will have like an archive of participants. But I figure you know now it's time to get down people's records before their memories start to change because you know it's been two years, more than two years. Um, and you know people are also leaving to go study abroad and so forth. So you know I have to get them while they're still in That's Taiwan. Yeah. The, I heard that there is some already uh, good uh, effort to archive. Uh, some of the video and other there are yeah, yeah but not so much in English so you know that goes back again to kind of making oh, this stuff internationally known also a lot of it I think is not very well organized I actually want to do it as like an open source format so you know other projects and eventually kind of feed into it and it brings there are a lot of different projects to do what oral histories like or, open source open something source, kind of like yeah. something like that where people can replicate right. the format you know, after I'm done with my set, people can continue it if they want to. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Also, just there are a lot of projects that are similar going on, but they don't connect together at all. So I'm trying to create like a format to kind of bring it all together. Do you have any existing uh, software that does that, or? Um, I think it'll just be a website. I I don't know actually software that will do mm. that. I've done some like archiving stuff in the past for like you know like audio and you know visual stuff mm. and like whatever. Um, but you know like I'll play it by ear. <laughs> How about the. Uh, how about the pamphlets that they hand, hung out, oh. uh, handed out? Sorry, Did, um, is there any attempt to collect all that or the artwork? Or? I think there was. Yeah, I remember there were there were definitely attempts to collect the artwork that occurred near the end of occupation. Um, I'm not totally sure where that went, but I can look into it, and it shouldn't be that hard to find. Yeah. Um, the pamphlets and stuff, like, yeah, I think people have it, and you know, I can get it from people. Um, yeah. I collected a lot of it myself too back then. How about um, the institutions? Uh, uh -huh. the reaction of the. Uh -huh. Government of the uh -huh. archive, uh, government archives. Uh -huh. Reaction of the university libraries. Uh -huh. uh, is there any? Have you looked into that at all yet? I haven't yet. Um, I haven't started. So I think there definitely was though, because I do. I do remember hearing stuff about it. I think probably from you know like Taita, like National Taiwan University. Um, because, you know, there were also just a lot of the students from there were just very much in the thick of it. Because, you know, like, a lot of social movement leaders or, you know, of history, in Taiwanese history, tend to come from Taida. Because, you know, like, it's a late institution, so, you know, people tend to look towards, like, I guess that is kind of, you know, somewhat strange. But, you know, people tend to look towards people from elite institutions for leadership. Um, they also have resources. I mean, I know that a lot of the grad students were very heavily involved in planning some of the actions, yeah, you know, some fire movement. How about the foreign, I mean, the people based abroad? Uh -huh. do, you, do you think you... Would you try to archive the I think so as well. Yeah, there is a you know, the overseas Taiwanese movement is something that has history but like it hasn't really been preserved, so I'm also trying to do that. because um, you know, I also myself just between these two areas I think that's something I can do because I do know these kind of people that have been around for a while. Um, there have been some attempts. There's been like the, the history of Taiwanese American archive, but it's kind of very strangely organized. It's like just, you know, most of it's still in Chinese, which is kind of strange for a website that's supposed to be about Taiwanese Americans. Where is it based? It's, it's a website. I think it's just called the History of Taiwanese American, which is, you know, also... Sometimes there are a lot of, like, learning English errors, and it's very old-style oh. links. It's very hard to navigate it, so... I mean, once I get further in my project, I probably will talk to them to uh, yeah. see what things they have, and, you know, if I can organize it better than they have. It's great. Yeah, because I'm, I'm planning next year to go. Go back to Hong Kong and uh, oh. investigate this whole, the same similar issue oh. about the Hong Kong protest movements, oh. but not just oh. not just uh, Occupy and uh, Umbrella yeah, movements, it's longer history. but earlier, earlier yeah. protests, social oh. protests, because that's already over. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. people forgotten. And oh. So what happened to all the artifacts from there? Exactly. And so uh, I think. Yeah, it may be worth enough to, then we can collaborate. And yeah, totally, totally. To that'd, be that'd be very um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I, uh, there definitely was attempts near the end of the movement to, to collect the stuff. I do recall hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, good. Okay, well, thank you very much. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Bye-bye.